It's Sunday morning, and we are going to continue on the message that we were preaching last week. You might call this the battle belongs to the Lord. Part two. And what has brought us to this is studying first and second Samuel, particularly when you get into first Samuel, the sixteenth chapter, that when you study the eleventh through the fifteenth chapter, that's where Saul is rebellious towards God, not doing the will of God. We're not going to uh, zero in on Saul. We're zeroing in on David's attitude towards Saul. David's attitude. This is what we're supposed to have. David never once, when, when Samuel came down to Bethlehem, Judah, to anoint David as the king He's going to be the new king of Israel. And and Samuel told Saul in the 15th chapter, your day is over. You're not king anymore. God's got, God has chosen uh, your neighbor to be king instead of you who is more, more righteous than you are. Well, Saul was always doing things wrong. That was King Saul. We're not talking about the apostle Saul who became Paul. That's a... Uh, that's in the New Testament. We're talking about King Saul. And he, every day of his life, he was trying to kill David. The thing about David, he never got angry at Saul. He tried to rescue Saul. The only thing that he did was try to stay away from him because he wanted to kill David for stealing his throne, and it wasn't his throne. What amazes me is Saul trusted Samuel. It was Samuel that had made Saul the king. And he's the one that God picked out Saul, told Samuel who it was, told him to go anoint him. So when Samuel comes up and says, you have been rebellious against God and your day is over, Saul kept trying to stay in that situation, be king all the way to the 31st chapter And that's where Saul dies. He keeps trying to kill David. David has twice, two times, he catches Saul in a cave and could have killed him. But David said, this is the Lord's anointed. If God wants him dead, God will make him dead. He said, it's not my business. And what I'm trying to help you see, it's not your business to conquer your enemies. It's God's business to conquer your enemies. And he's not going to conquer them because they're your enemies. He's going to conquer them because they are his enemies. That's why he's going to conquer them. We have to learn what the Bible says. Now, David was a wonderful man. He had some faults. He committed adultery and murder, but he repented of that. The last thing that David did that was against God, he numbered Israel. Numbered Israel. I'm going to say it again so you won't 
forget it. Over there in first or second Samuel, the twenty fourth chapter, verse one, the Bible says God provoked David to number Israel. It was God that caused David to number Israel. Caused David to number. Why did he number Israel? He was bragging on how many people he had. David had a phenomenal amount of people, and you'll find that. Now, you're not going to find, when you're studying, you've got to study in the books of the kings. You're going to have First and Second Samuel, Second Samuel, First and Second Kings. This was one book, according to the Jews in First and Second Chronicles. And when you're studying, you need to look at what Samuel says in the twenty-fourth chapter. He says it was God that caused David to number Israel. And when you go over here to First Samuel, the first Samuel, first Chronicles, the twenty-first chapter. Look over there. Look over there one more time. Over there in First Chronicles, the twenty-first chapter, the Bible says that it was Satan that caused. Uh, that caused David to number Israel. There in verse 1, And Satan stood up against Israel and provoked David to number Israel. Let's just look back at Second Samuel. These are sister chapters. They're giving you the same thing in Second Samuel, the 24th chapter. And this has confused a lot of people, but it's not confusing when you define the word. There in the 24th chapter, verse 1, again, the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel. Why was God angry at Israel? And God, and and the Lord moved David against Israel to say, go number Israel and Judah. Now, we said last week, the reason David numbered Israel was because he was boasting about all these great men in Israel over there in the 23rd chapter of Second Samuel. He's talking about all the mighty men that God had. Well, it's not mighty men that caused David to win the wars because when Saul was chasing David in the 22nd chapter of Second Samuel, verses 1 through 3, David only had 400 men. He had 400 men. That was his total army. And not only were that, that was his total army. Let me read it one more time. Go back over there to, to uh, 2 Samuel 22. Uh, excuse me, 1 Samuel 22. This is so important that you get a hold of this. The 22nd chapter of 1 Samuel when you read the first two verses, and David is running from Saul. Saul's trying to kill him. David therefore departed thence and escaped to the cave Adullam. And when the brethren and all of his father's house heard it, they went down thither 
2 John David. And I love verse 2 because this is a picture of who is joining in with Christ. And everyone that was in distress, this is David's army. Everyone that's in distress and everyone that was in debt and everyone, this sounds like the downtrodden that Jesus came to, and everyone that was discontented and gathered themselves to David. If you read that Luke 4.18, Jesus came to preach the gospel to the poor, to the brokenhearted, to the bruised. And he came a captain over these downtrodden people and there were with David about 400 men. That's all he had when he was conquering Saul. But it wasn't David conquering Saul. The battle belonged to God, not David. I keep saying your battle is not between you and your enemy. They're not your enemy. If they're doing wrong, they're God's enemy. What we need to do is wait upon the Lord and God will deal with these people in his time. He may not deal with them in your lifetime, but he'll deal with them eventually, just like he dealt with Joab and Shammai after David is dying. And they were truly his enemies, uh, Joab being his nephew and Shammai, the one that was throwing stones at him in that 16th chapter of Second Samuel, saying, you stole my, my king, my king was Saul, and you stolen his throne. Well, God had him killed after, at right about the time that David is dying. Your enemies, God will take care of them if they're his enemies. You don't have to do anything about that. Now, the battle is God's battle. Let's look back over there at Second Samuel, excuse me, Second Chronicles. This is the chapter I didn't finish up last week. Second Chronicles, the 20th chapter. Now this is where this is where Jehoshaphat, one of my favorite kings in Israel, is going to go to war against the against his enemies, the men of Ammon, the Ammonites, the people of Moab, Moab and Ammon. Who is the Moabites? Well, if this is Israel, Mediterranean Sea, and this is Israel right here. And this is southern Israel here, or Judah. Judah comprised of the of Benjamin and the tribe of Judah. And this is northern Israel, or Samaria. Samaria at one time was a town in Israel. And later on, all of northern Israel, they began to call all of northern Israel Samaria. Now, Jehoshaphat was the king of southern Judah. Jehoshaphat had one problem. He was a righteous, godly man. He ran around with the wrong people. He made friends with, actually, he was seduced by Ahab. Ahab at the time was king of northern Israel, and it was Ahab that had brought, he had married Jezebel. Jezebel was the daughter of Ethbaal, Ethbaal, that was her father, and he was the priest of Baal in the grove. And when he married, when his daughter, Jezebel, 
<laughs> married Ahab, the king of northern Israel, she brought her gods down into northern Israel and turned northern Israel into a bell and grove worshiping state. But Ahab was in a battle at one point with Syria. And he asked, he went down here and asked Jehoshaphat, who was a righteous man of God and had the Bible read throughout all of Israel, had him join him. He said, Jehoshaphat, you are my brother. You're a Jew. I'm a Jew. You're king of southern Judah. I'm king of northern Israel. And won't you come and fight Baal, uh, fight Fight Ben-Hadad with me. Ben-Hadad. Ben means father, a son of. So the son of Hadad was his father. said, I want you to come with me to fight uh, Ben-Hadad. Well, he's not supposed to be gathering together with anybody that's living in unbelief. That's what the Bible says. We're not supposed to hang around people in unbelief. Well, God killed Ahab in that final battle, the last chapter of First Kings. He killed Ahab. Now, I've got a thousand things to say about that, but I don't have time to. Here, Jehoshaphat is going to battle in the 20th chapter. Here's the lineage of the kings right here. The three kings, the first three kings of Israel, well, actually, the first four kings. God was the king before Saul. Then God appointed Saul to be king because the people said, we don't like Samuel's two sons who are evil telling us what to do. So God appointed Saul. He was of the tribe of Benjamin, wrong tribe. You have to come from Judah. So David is the one that he points in his place. Then Solomon is king. He's the son of David. So this is the United Kingdom. It's one nation. It was split because of Solomon allowed his three hundred his seven hundred wives. What was he doing with seven hundred wives? They would usually marry the daughters of men that were their enemies, so they could form a treaty or an alliance with them. And he was married to the Bible calls them strange women. The word "strange" there in the eleventh chapter of First Kings. It means foreign women, and they were worshiping idols. They were worshiping the tree and the sun gods, any number of them. So God says, because of Solomon, a righteous man of God, I'm going to split the nation into two nations. Northern Israel will be comprised. This is northern Israel. It will be comprised of the ten northern tribes. Ten northern tribes. And that, and those ten northern tribes will be led by Ephraim. Ephraim is the second-born son of Joseph. And Joseph is the eleventh son of Jacob. Therefore, Ephraim, if you want to read and study Genesis, the 48th chapter, you can see that God is giving northern Israel or the tribe of Joseph the inheritance. Only one person in Israel, only one person in a family would get the inheritance. All the other men 
in the family had to be taken care of by that man. So Ephraim, actually the Bible will say from time to time, Joseph received the inheritance. Let me show you something here. This might help you. Look over here in in First Chronicles, the second chapter. Or is that the one I want or the fifth chapter? Look here. First Chronicles. First Chronicles. And you can connect this. No, I, I need the fifth chapter. Fifth chapter. First Chronicles, the fifth chapter. If I can get pages to turn. All right. <clears throat> fifth chapter. This is important to know. The sons of Reuben, the firstborn of Israel. Reuben was rejected. Israel was Jacob. The firstborn of Israel, for he was the firstborn, but for as much as he defiled his father's bed, he slept with Bilhah, his mother's handmaiden. The birthright was given unto the sons of Joseph. Joseph had two sons, Ephraim and Manasseh. And the son of Israel and the genealogy is not to be reckoned after the birthright which went to the firstborn. For Judah prevailed above his brethren. Judah was the fourthborn, and out of Judah was the fourthborn of Jacob, and out of Judah would come the king. You read the 49th chapter of Genesis, and Jacob, or Israel, is what he's called in that chapter, calls all of his sons around him, his 12 sons, and gives them either their blessings or their curses, and several of them, Particularly Simeon got the curse. For Judah prevailed above his brethren. When you read on in the 49th chapter, you'll see the scepter will not depart from Judah. Out of Judah, the fourthborn, Jesus was the line of Judah. David was the tribe of Judah. And the king had to be from the tribe of Judah. And of him came the chief ruler, but the birthright was Joseph's. And you'll see the birthright in the 48th chapter when, when Joseph, who's the ruler in Egypt, brings his two sons to Jacob, puts his right hand upon his second-born son so he can lead him to, to Jacob's left hand. The left hand did not receive the blessing. The only person that got the permanent blessing was the right hand. And so Joseph is the prince of Egypt, saving all of Egypt through all these famine they're having. And he leads his his eldest son, he leads his eldest son over to Jacob's right hand, and that would be Manasseh. So he's got his left hand on Manasseh's head. This is in the 48th chapter of Genesis. And he leads his second-born son with his right hand to Jacob's left hand so that Ephraim would receive the lesser blessing and the blessing would go to Manasseh. And when he got close to Jacob, this is what Jacob did. He crossed his hands 
and put the blessing on the second born like he does the second birth just like Jacob was the second born and he received the blessing of God just like Abel was second born and he received the blessing of God and Jacob jumped and Joseph jumped back and said not so my father you give it the blessing to the wrong one and Jacob said I may be old I may be nearly blind but I know what I'm doing. So he gave the blessing in the 48th chapter to Joseph, to his secondborn son Ephraim. And any time you see Ephraim mentioned in the Bible after long after his death, it's talking about the ten northern tribes. Any time you see Ephraim or Joseph or Israel after they're long dead, and after the tribes are split up into two nations, northern Israel is referred to as Ephraim. Northern Israel is referred to as Joseph. Northern Israel is referred to as Samaria. Northern Israel is referred to as Israel. Southern Judah was referred to, comprised of the two tribes of Judah and Benjamin. Because that's, Saul was of the tribe of Benjamin, David was of the tribe of Judah. The king would come out of southern Judah, and northern Israel had the inheritance. Usually it would go to the firstborn son, but because of Reuben being unstable as water, God's, the patriarch had a right to give it to who he wanted to. Now, i got to get back over here to Second Chronicles, 20th chapter. This is at a time period when Jehoshaphat... You got to read all the episodes of Jehoshaphat. He run around with Ahab, and that's a really a bad thing. I want to go into another story, but I won't. Now, so Jehoshaphat is going to war with these people of Moab. The Moabites was southern, what we call Jordan. Southern Jordan. And the land of Ammon, Ammon, was northern, what we call northern Jordan. In fact, it's, I'm sure I got a map right here. The land of Moab and Ammon. This is Jordan over here, over here. Here's Moab. Ammon was right up here. These were the two sons of Lot by his incestuous relationship with his two daughters they wanted to preserve the seed of Israel let me give me a drink here now and Israel was always at war with various people always at war with Ammon and Moab and there's more to that story but I want us to look here and see that God's the battle is God's when he's fighting God's people remember in Deuteronomy 28 God says if you're obedient to me I'll increase your land. I'll increase your storehouses. Your crops will be good. You'll have the, all the food you can eat. You'll have everything in your storehouses, but you've got to do everything that I say for you to do, Israel. And you will conquer your enemies, and your enemies will come against you one way, and they'll flee seven ways. Now, Jehoshaphat, when he goes to battle here in the 20th chapter, he is a godly, righteous man. He's the king of southern Judah. He's in the lineage of 
Judah. He's one of the great, 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 great grandsons of Judah. Now, here he is. Let's read here in the 20th chapter. And and it came to pass, Jehoshaphat is a righteous man, a godly man. So when the king is godly, God causes Israel to win, regardless of how many there are. He said, you go against your enemy one way, they'll flee seven ways. And it came to pass after this also that the children of Moab, that's southern Jordan, and the children of Ammon, that's northern Jordan, and with them other beside the Ammonites came against Jehoshaphat to battle. And there were too many of them, and he couldn't win just like in your life. There's too many enemies in my life, and i got to fight them. No, you don't. Then there came some that told Jehoshaphat, saying, There cometh a great multitude against you, Jehoshaphat, from beyond the sea on this side of Syria. And behold, they be in Hazan Tamar, which is in Gedi. And Jehoshaphat feared, he was afraid, and set himself to seek the Lord and proclaim a fast throughout all Judah, because he's going against a whole bunch of men that's too much for him. And Judah gathered themselves together and asked help of the Lord. Even out of all the cities of Judah, they came to seek the Lord. And Jehoshaphat stood in the congregation of Judah and Jerusalem in the house of the Lord before the new court. And Jehoshaphat prays. Here's his prayer. He said, O Lord God, our Father, art not thou God in heaven? And rulest not thou over all the kingdoms of the heathen? And in thine hand is there not power and might, so that none is able to withstand thee? Is that the prayer that you pray when you're fighting your enemies? Are you saying, I'm going to get them for hurting me? It's not your job to get your enemies. Not to gossip about them. Not to whisper about them. None of that. David never said one bad thing about Saul. Even even after he was dead, he honored him in death. Art not thou our God who didst drive out the inhabitants of this land before thy people Israel and gave it to the seed of Abraham thy friend forever? You gave this to Abraham. Boy, Jehoshaphat's bringing up the long story. You gave it to Abraham. And they dwelt therein and have built thee a sanctuary therein for thy name. They built a temple for you, God. If when evil cometh upon us as the sword, judgment or pestilence or famine, we stand before this house and in thy presence. For thy name is in this house and cry unto thee in our affliction. Then thou wilt hear and help. And now behold the children of Ammon and Moab and Mount Seir. Mount Seir was the capital of the Edomites, which was directly south. He has all the Edomites, all the Moabites, all the Ammonites are going to declare war against Israel, Jehoshaphat, whom thou wouldest not let Israel invade when they came out of the land of Egypt. And they turned from them and destroyed them not, Behold, I say, this is Jehoshaphat praying to God. Behold, I say, how they reward us to come and cast us out of thy possession, which thou hast given us to inherit. They're coming in to throw us out. 
O our God, wilt thou not judge them? Is that what you're going to pray against your enemies? Let God judge them and not you? We have no might against this great company. Lord, I can't. You have to come to a place of realizing you have no might to conquer your enemies. That's not your job. That cometh against us, neither know we what to do. We don't know what to do. It's too large. There are too many. Well, when David had 400 and 600, and Saul was coming against him with thousands, he couldn't conquer that either. Neither know we what to do, but our eyes are upon you. We trust you, God. Do you do that when your enemies come against you? And all Judah stood before the Lord with their little ones, their wives, and their children. Then upon Jehaziel, the son of Zechariah, here's a prophet coming. He's going to come to the rescue and tell Jehoshaphat what's going to happen. The son of Benaiah, the son of Jeiel, the son of Mataniah, the Levite, the sons of Asaph, came the Spirit of the Lord upon Jehaziel. He's a prophet. In the midst of the congregation, Jehoshaphat's afraid. He's scared. It's like being attacked by several hundreds of thousands of million, and you just got a few hundred. And he said, hearken all of Israel. This is Jehazael talking to Israel. Hearken, ye all Judah, ye inhabitants of Jerusalem, and thy king Jehoshaphat, thus saith the Lord unto you. How about, thus saith the Lord unto you, here at Grace and Truth Ministries. Be not afraid nor dismayed by reason of this great multitude, for the battle is not yours, but God's. When you start to fight your enemies, you're not supposed to. You're not supposed to gossip about them. You're not supposed to whisper about them. You pray, Lord, this is your fight, not mine. Back away. Leave it alone. Tomorrow, go ye down against them. Behold, they come up by the cliff of Ziz, and ye shall find them at the end of the brook before the wilderness of Jeruel. Ye shall not need to fight in this battle. I've told you that time and time again. You don't need to fight your enemies. Leave it alone. God will take care of your enemies. That is, when you are following him, bind his will, being obedient to God, God is in charge. Set yourselves... Stand still. It reminds us of when Moses came up to the Red Sea. There's a great big wall of fire behind him. And on the other side wall of fire, there was the entire Egyptian army. And God said, stand still and you'll see the salvation of the Lord. He's saying that here to Jehoshaphat. And see the salvation of the Lord with you. Same words he told to Moses when God opened up the Red Sea. It takes God opening the Red Sea in your life, and you don't have anything to do with that. 
O Judah and Jerusalem, fear not, nor be dismayed tomorrow. Go out against them, for the Lord will be with you. When you fight, don't you do the fight and say, Lord, you have to fight my battles. And Jehoshaphat bowed his head with his face to the ground, and all Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem fell before the Lord, worshiping the Lord. And the Levites of the children of the Korathites and the children of the Korites stood up to praise the Lord God of Israel with a loud voice. And they rose early in the morning and went forth into the wilderness of Tekoa. And as they went forth, Jehoshaphat stood and said, Hear me, O Judah, and ye inhabitants of Jerusalem, believe in the Lord your God. What if I said, hear me, O grace and truth ministries, believe in God, stop the fighting. God will do what he wants to do. So ye shall, so shall ye be established, believe his prophet. Who's his prophet here? Up there in verse 14, Jehazael. And when he hath consulted with the people, he appointed singers unto the Lord that should praise the beauty of holiness. Here they are singing these glorious songs that God is going to win, and they're so completely outnumbered. And they went out before the army and to say, Praise the Lord, for his mercy endureth forever. And when they began to sing and praise the Lord, set ambushments against the children of Ammon and Moab. God says, here's how I want you to ambush them. They're my enemies. And Mount Seir, the Edomites, which were come unto Judah, and they were smitten. And they completely outnumbered Israel. For the children of Ammon and Moab stood up against the inhabitants of Mount Seir utterly to slay and destroy them. He did the same thing with them that he did with Gideon when he took 300 men and attacked over 120,000 Midianites. He confused them in their, in their anger and their rage and caused them to turn on each other and they started killing each other. Do you know your enemies will do the same thing? They'll turn on each other. And when they had made an end of the inhabitants of Seir, everyone helped to destroy another. And when Judah came toward the watchtower in the wilderness, they looked unto the multitude, and behold, they were dead bodies fallen to the earth, and none escaped. They killed all the enemy because they called upon God. When Jehoshaphat and his people came, and to take away the spoil of them, they found among them in abundance both riches with the dead bodies and precious jewels, which they stripped off for they themselves more than they could carry away. And there were three days in gathering the spoils. It was so much. And on the fourth day, they assembled themselves in the valley of Barakah, for there they blessed the Lord. Therefore, the name of the place the same place was called the Valley of Barakah unto this day. Then they returned every man of Judah and Jerusalem and Jehoshaphat in the forefront to go again to Jerusalem with joy for the Lord had made them rejoice over their enemies. God did the fighting. 
God's always going to do the fighting. If you'll sit back and rest, when you're having run-ins with people in the world, the fight don't belong to you. Leave them alone in the hands of the Lord. And it came to Jerusalem with psalteries and harps and trumpets and the house of the Lord. And the fear of God was on all the kingdoms of these countries when they heard that the Lord fought against the enemies of Israel. The Lord fought against our enemies. The Lord will fight your battles. David said, Lord, plead my cause. David found out he couldn't fight Saul. He's not going to get out there one-on-one. So he runs away from him, and God guides him where he's supposed to go, and God protects David, and he ends up king of Israel, and God's going to take care of things. It is God that fights for you. We can rely upon those promises of God in Deuteronomy, the 28th chapter, if we're obedient to his word and his laws. You say, Jim, that's an awful lot. Yeah, it is, isn't it? Obedience to God is what we're about. We're predestined to conform to the likeness of Christ. And his likeness was obedient to God. And Jehoshaphat reigned over Judah. He was 30 and 5 years old when he began to reign. And he reigned 20 and 5 years in Jerusalem. And his mother's name was Azubah, the daughter of Chuhi. Now, I'm trying to show you how God's fighting for his people as long as you are righteous. I guess I need to go back to Deuteronomy 28 and read the first few verses of that. This promises to you and I. Deuteronomy 28. I can't hardly read about God fighting for you without bringing this out. Deuteronomy 28. Deuteronomy 28 The charismatics will read this and say, see, God's going to fight for you and give you everything you want. No, he's not. He's going to, if you are obedient to him, the 28th chapter, it shall come to pass, verse 1, if thou, Israel, shalt hearken diligently unto the voice of the Lord thy God to observe and to do all his commandments. Boy, that is saying a lot, isn't it? You mean the Ten Commandments? Well, yes. And everywhere you've got an imperative mood in the Greek. Imperative is a command. Every time God uses imperative mood, that's a command just like let there be light. When God says strive, that's an imperative mood. 1324. 1324. Luke. Strive to enter in at the straight gate. For many I send, you will seek to enter in, shall not be able. They're trying the wrong gate. Strive, agonizomai. Agonizomai is our word, agonize. Agonize. What is it you're agonizing over? That outer man that wants to fight your battles. We have an inner man and we have an outer man. I can't get away from this. The inner man serves the law of God. And the outer man serves self. You can find this in Romans, the seventh chapter, and most of Paul's writings. 
He says, with the outer man, I serve the law of the flesh. With the inner man, I serve the law of God. When you, when that inner man begins to take over all this outer man and all of his jealousy and his rage and his covetousness and all these things, his orgay, when he begins to take over, you're going to rely upon God and not yourself to fight your battles. We're not in this fight. The inner man is in the fight. Leave it alone. That's one of my favorite sayings. I've said to Mary for years, if she gets to griping about something, I said, leave it alone. Leave them alone. I don't gossip about people. I'll say, leave it alone. Has anybody heard me say that? Leave it. I mean, leave it alone. That's what I mean. Don't try to fix things. You can't fix things. God's got it fixed. So you'll be willing to bow to him and let him do the fixing. Has anybody here besides old people figured out you can't fix anybody and you can't change them? You can't change people. If God doesn't change them, you can't. What makes you think you can when he won't? I'm going to leave people alone. I've learned that. I've said it before. The the Nez Pierce chief, Joseph, said, and boy, I know where he came from when he said, I shall fight no more again forever. That's where I am. I'm not going to fight anybody anymore, ever. You know what I found out? Fighting don't get you anywhere. If there's a fight to be fought, God will fight it, won't he? <clears throat> I'm just giving you some Old Testament illustrations. And he goes on to say, You have to hearken diligently unto the voice of the Lord thy God to observe and do all his commandments, <clears throat> all his imperative moods. When he tells you to humble under the hand of God, the word is tepainuah, T-A-P-E-I-N-O-O. That's the word humble. It means to level self, level mountains and hills. The mountain we have to level is Babylon that's in us, the mother of all idolatry that wants to vaunt itself against other people and tell them off and straighten them out, and you're not going to straighten anybody out. No one, the only thing that will move people is a soft answer. A soft answer turneth away wrath. Grievous words store the anger. If you fight people, does that mean you're supposed to allow people to get by with doing what they do? No, tell them you don't need to be doing that, and then when they start attacking, you get out of their way. Now, he says here, he says here, you have to be obedient to God. If you obey me and all my commandments, he said, here's all the blessings that will come upon you. He says, you'll be blessed in the city, blessed in the field. And verse 3, 4, you'll be blessed, the fruit of thy body, your children will be healthy. The fruit of thy ground, you'll have plenty of crops. The fruit of thy cattle, you'll have plenty of meat. The increase of thy kind, which is also a cattle, which could be sheep or so forth. The flocks of sheep will be plenty. Your basket 
will be full when you go out to gather, and your storehouses will be full, and you'll have all that you need. <clears throat> you'll be blessed when you come in and when you go out. And I love that verse 7. Verse 7 says, When your enemies come after you, the Lord shall cause thine enemies that rise up against thee to be smitten before thy face. You're not going to do the smiting. He's going to. And they shall come against you one way, and they'll flee seven ways when I get through with them. And the Charismatics will read that, and they will ignore verse 15. But it shall come to pass, if that will not hearken to the voice of the Lord thy God, here's all the judgments that's going to come upon you. You don't observe his commandments and his statutes. You'll be cursed in the city, cursed in the field. Your basket and your storehouses will be cursed. You want to have enough? <clears throat> you mean that applies to me? Yes. Your enemies will be conquered when you leave things alone in the hands of God. And the only thing you're supposed to be concerned about is of being obedient to God. Level self before God. Read his word and do what he says. Quit fighting your enemies. You're not supposed to ever fight as a believer. Well, look here in, look here in John, the 19th chapter. Look at John 19. You know, our problem is covetousness, which means to want more any way you can get it. Pleonectes, P-L-E-O-N-E-K-T-E-S. What if somebody cheats me? You let them. Unless there's some answer to it. If there's no answer to it, walk away and leave it. Has anybody ever been cheated and you couldn't get it back? I have. And I've learned not to try to get it back. How can you get something back from somebody that takes it away from you illegally? You can't get it back, can you? Well, well, but Jim, I was having a roof put on my house and the guy did half the work. And uh, was what was I supposed to do? You go into small claims court, take to the judge and say, Judge, this man said he would uh, put the roof on my house. He put half of it on the house, and I gave him the money for all of it, and he won't finish it. And whatever the judge says, you go with. If the judge says, well, that's too bad, you made this mistake and this mistake, then walk away and forget it. You think we're going to, are sinners going to be able to get back at people that beat them? Well, well, there's a contract. You know how what contracts are? They're good as the man that signs them. I sold real estate for years, and we used to say a contract is good as the man that signs it. It doesn't mean nothing if you don't want to go through with it. So it is. Right? You have to learn that. Now, look here in John. 19th chapter. John 19. And this is a hard thing for us to get a hold of. Real difficult. All right. All right. What am I looking for? Here it is. John the 18th chapter. Let's read a little bit of this. 
Jesus is standing before Pilate. The people are condemning him. And then said Pilate unto them, Take him, picking it to Jesus. This is verse 31. Judge him according to your law. The Jews therefore said unto him, It is not lawful for us to put a man to death during the Passover season. That the saying of Jesus might be fulfilled, which he spake, signifying what death he should die. Then Pilate entered into the judgment hall again and called Jesus and said unto him, Are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus answered him, saying, Sayest thou these things of thyself, or did somebody else tell you that about me? And Pilate answered, Am I a Jew? Thine own nation and the chief priests have delivered thee unto me. What hast thou done? And Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. It's a spiritual kingdom. If my kingdom were of this world, then would my servants fight. But it's not. So my servants are not supposed to be fighting anyone that I should not be delivered to the Jews, but now is my kingdom from hence. The kingdom of God is in us, and we don't fight physically in the kingdom of God. Now let's go back over here to to Deuteronomy 28. He says, Your basket will be cursed if you're not obedient to me. Your city will be cursed. You'll be cursed. And he says, You're... When you go out and you come in, your fruit will be cursed, your land will be cursed, your storehouse will be cursed. You mean, does that apply to me? Yes. And the Lord shall send upon thee cursing, vexation, and rebuke. Now, the charismatics say God won't hurt anybody. Boy, that sounds like hurt to me. And in all that thou settest thy hand to do, You'll be destroyed until you perish quickly because of the wickedness of thy doings. Wherefore, thou shalt, thou hast forsaken me. The Lord shall make pestilence. Now, the charismatics say God's not going to hurt anybody. Pestilence is disease. I'm going to send pestilence. I killed 70,000 people in Israel when David numbered Israel in that 24th chapter of Second Samuel. He'll make pestilence cleave unto you, that means you and me, until he hath consumed thee from off the land, whither you go to possess it. The Lord will smite thee with consumption. That's kind of some real severe sickness that'll kill you. And with fever and inflammation. Do you know inflammation is what everything that we're sick with? When I have bronchitis, my my bronchial tubes are inflamed. My lungs are inflamed. When you have high cholesterol, your arteries are inflamed. And people, they give you steroid when you go to the doctor to take the inflammation down. And with extreme burning, with the sword, with blasting, with mildew. And they'll pursue you until you perish. If you're not obedient. The way we win in life is being obedient to God. Not fighting our enemies. That's not it. And he goes on to say, the beast will come in and will carry you to all the kingdoms of the world in verse 25. 
Now, you mean all I have to do is obey God? Well, that's right. Boy, that's a hard place to come to, especially when your temper rises up and you want to get somebody back for hurting you, right? Does anybody have that problem? Boy, have I ever had that problem. I wanted to get people back years ago, and you're not supposed to get anybody. If God has declared the end from the beginning, and from ancient times, everything that's not yet done, saying, my counsel shall stand and I'll do all my pleasure, if he's done that, then he's declared that your enemies will come against you. Leave that up to him to destroy them or to fight them. That's not your business to fight people, ever. Is it? Not ever. Do you ever get angry? You know where a fight starts? In your mind. You have to come to a place where you're not angry with anybody anymore. You say, this is the will of God. Just like we were talking about Michael Pinion. He knows he's got days to live. And he says, it's the will of God and I'm joyous over it. Can you get to that place? Well, I lost this deal because this guy cheated me and he underbid me and and he did something crooked on it. Well, who cares? That's between him and God. God will deal with him if he wants to. You never did lose something that you're supposed to have. Have you? If God's declared it all, if he works all things after the counsel of his own will, that means he's working the evil of evil men. He said, I make peace and create evil. I, the Lord, do all these things. If we can come to a place as believers to realize our lives are exactly what God has made them to be, and the more you realize that, the less problem you have with what people are doing. Michael Pinion told me, he said, I don't care who's cheating me out of anything. What am I going to do? i got a few days to live, and I'm going to get mad at him? For what? Well, you may be dying here in the next few days yourself. Now, I want us to go to one of my favorite. When you really talk about God conquering, I want to go to 2 Kings. Wait a minute. Let me go to 1 Chronicles 21. Then I'll go to 2 Kings. We are not supposed to be arguing, fighting. We're not supposed to be covetousness, wanting more. When you want more, that means you're not content. Paul said, I have learned in Philippians 4, starting in verse 11, 12, and 13. He said, I've learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. Do you know the state of Paul when he said that? He was in a Roman prison. Philippians was a prison epistle. He wrote that from prison. He knew he wasn't going to live any longer. He was at the end of his life. It was somewhere in the neighborhood of 67 A.D. It's believed that's about when Paul died. They took him out of prison and beheaded him. That's what, that's what the historians say. Or the, the custom was believing that Paul was beheaded. He's waiting to die when he said, I've learned to be content. Notice he said, I've learned. I'm in prison. I'm under a death sentence. I'm under a death watch. And I've learned to be content. That's where Michael opinion is. He's learned to be content. He's under a death sentence. 
Content is the word ought or case. Now, I hope you don't have to wait till you get to death, death's door to be ought or case. A-U-T-A-R-K-E-S. It is a construction of auto, which is the word actually A-U-T, omega, which is self, and archeo, A-R-K-E-O, which means to ward off or push away. Means to push away self. Paul said, I'm waiting to die and I am out our case. What's he going to do? Argue with people and say, I haven't done anything but preach Christ? Did Jesus argue when they, <clears throat> when he came before the Pharisees and they said, Why don't you speak up? Talk to us. Why would he talk to them? He had set the time that he was going to die for his wife, the church, his family. Why would he? What's he going to do? Defend himself when he said, "No man takes my life from me; I lay it down for my sheep." He's not going to argue about being put on a cross, even though these are evil men and they're committing murder. When you kill an innocent man, it's called murder. They were murdering Jesus. The Bible says they were therefore to do. The Herod was there that day. Pilate was there that day. The Gentiles were there piercing his side, the Gentile soldiers. And the Jews were screaming, crucify him. And they were therefore to do whatsoever thy hand and thy counsel determined before to be done. God determined before is the word prohorizo. It is the word predestinate. Acts 4.28 God predestinated the death of Jesus by the hands of evil men when they murdered him. So do you think that God is not predetermining in your life men to do you wrong? Are we supposed to be done wrong? Well, if God's doing everything, I guess so. If they do us wrong, well, how how am I going to fight them back? Well, you don't fight them. You let God do that. Now, I want to go to... One of my favorite stories about letting God fight the battle. This would be in the 18th chapter of Second Kings. How much time do I have, Mike? I don't know if I can get this story in there, but I love this. This is uh, one of my favorite stories about... God defending his people. Israel at this time was, let me kind of paint this picture for you. All right. All right, here's here's the Mediterranean Sea, Mediterranean Sea. Here's Egypt down here, Egypt. Ethiopia's down here. Here's Israel. And Israel at this time was being ruled by Assyria. Assyria later on is overthrown by Babylon. 
Then Babylon later on is overthrown by Persia. And Persia is, Persia is actually Iran and Pakistan and Afghanistan and so forth. And Babylon is actually Iraq. And you're there on the Euphrates River. Of course, Persia is subdued by Alexander the Great, Greek. The Greeks are subdued by Rome. This happened over time. Assyria was a bunch of barbarians. They were the worst of the worst. Their their nation was up here. Let's see if I got something here. Assyria was all this empire up here. They were ruling all the civilized world. They were butchers. They were a bunch of Caucasians. The Caucasus Mountains, see right there, Caucasus Mountains between the Caspian Sea and the Black Sea. The Caucasians were the Assyrians. They were the Scythians before that. The Scythians were just barbarous. They were slaughtered and killed. They might cut off a hundred thousand men's heads and pile them before the gate of a city. They didn't care. They're the ones, the Caucasians, the one that invented all these slaughtering uh, techniques of the American Indian. It was the conquistadors that took that with Columbus when he landed in San Salvador and they started slaughtering Indians, taking them overseas, making them slaves. Columbus was a was a pirate. He wasn't a good man. He We got all these places all over America, Columbus, Ohio, Columbus, Georgia, uh, named after him. And the guy was a was a an evil, wicked man. <clears throat> and all of these Caucasian ways of torturing people, scalping, were invented by a bunch of Caucasians. Caucasus Mountains. And uh, bearing a man up to his neck on the desert, pouring honey on his head, turning fire ants loose on him, that was a Caucasian invention. It wasn't American Indian. They just picked it up from Columbus, and he taught them how to really torture. So the Syrians were up here, and they were ruling all the civilized world. Later on, they're conquered by Babylon. Babylon is on the Euphrates River here. This is all of Assyria back in here. So they were very wicked people, and they go out to conquer they're going to come down here and conquer. They've carried northern Israel away. Northern Israel was carried away into captivity in 722 B.C. And when the, when the Syrians come down, they, there is a war against Israel, and it lasts for about 10 years by the Assyrians. And you had Tiglath-Pileser. Well, what a name. Tiglath-Pileser. Sometimes it's pronounced Tilgath-Pilneser. We'll just say Tiglath-Pileser. And then you had Shalmaneser. Shalmaneser. And you had, in this story right here we've got Sennacherib he is the last king S-C-H-E-N-N-A-R 
IB. Sennacherib. And Sennacherib is the man that comes in and says, since I've already conquered northern Israel, I'm just going to go on down to southern Judah and take them. There's only one problem. God has not as of yet, as of this time period, had his fill of southern Judah. There's a righteous king in southern Judah at this time. A king named Hezekiah. One of the most righteous kings that ever lived on the earth. And he has a prophet. And his prophet's name is Isaiah. Now, there's one thing you don't do. When you attack these two men, it's like attacking Superman and Captain Marvel. You don't attack them. If you're a heathen, you're in trouble when you attack these two men, two extremely righteous men of God. And boy, that uh, Sennacherib didn't have good sense. He had hundreds of thousands of soldiers. And Israel is just southern Judah. He comes in and carries northern Israel away because God allows him to do that. That's a judgment of God. While he's at it, he says, I'm going to go down here and conquer southern Judah. No, 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 no. The last thing you want to do. So, let's start here in chapter 18. It may take me two weeks to go through this. It came to pass in the third year of Hoshea. Hoshea is the last king in northern Israel. They're carried away. You can see them being carried away in the 17th chapter of this book. And while they are carrying away northern Israel, the king of Syria says, Assyria, not Syria, but Assyria. Assyria was the ruling empire of the world. Third year of Hoshea, son of Elah, king of Israel, that Hezekiah, the son of Ahaz, you can see that over here. Hezekiah, the son of Ahaz. They're of the tribe of Judah. The legitimate kings in Israel. He's the son of Ahaz. Hezekiah, the son of Ahaz, king of Judah, began to reign. Twenty and five years old was he when he began to reign. And he reigned twenty and nine years in Jerusalem. And his mother's name also was Abi, the daughter of Zechariah. And he did that which was right in the sight of the Lord. Talking about Zechariah. I'm talking about Hezekiah. According to all that David his father did. And Hezekiah removed the high places, broke down the images, cut down the groves, broke in pieces the brazen serpent that Moses has made. For unto these days the children of Israel did burn incense to it and called it Nehushtan. Nehushtan means something made of copper. And Hezekiah trusted, well, look at verse 5. Hezekiah trusted in the Lord God of Israel so that after Hezekiah was none like unto him among all the kings of Judah, nor any that were before him, when it come to trust and faith in God, he was as righteous as they come. 
For he clave to the Lord and departed not from following him. And he kept his commandments, which the Lord commanded Moses. And the Lord was with him, and he prospered whithersoever he went. And he rebelled against the king of Assyria and refused to serve this monarch of the world. And he smote the Philistines even unto Gaza and the borders thereof from the tower of the watchman to the fenced city. And it came to pass in the fourth year of King Hezekiah, which was the seventh year of Hoshea of northern Israel, the son of Eli, king of Israel, that Shalmaneser, king of Assyria, came up against Samaria, northern Israel, and besieged it. And then he surrounded it, cut off all food supplies to northern Israel. And God allowed that because it was time for northern Israel to be carried away. You want to see northern Israel carried away, read the 17th chapter, the chapter before this. And at the end of the three years, they took it, even in the sixth year of Hezekiah, that the ninth year of Hoshea, king of northern Israel, Samaria was taken. So that's what northern Israel was taken, and God wants them to be taken. But southern Judah hadn't fully involved Jehoshaphat's king. Jehoshaphat's king. And not until Jehoram, his son, marries the daughter of Ahab and Jezebel, is southern Judah polluted. But that hadn't happened yet. So southern Judah is a righteous is righteous. And the Lord was with him, and he prospered whithersoever he went forth. And re- excuse me, I'm in the wrong place. Down here in verse 10, and at the end of three years, they took it, even in the sixth year of Hezekiah, and the ninth year of Hoshea, king of Israel, Samaria was taken. And the king of Assyria did carry away Israel unto Assyria. Northern Israel was carried away because God wants it to happen. And put them in Halah and Habor by the river of Gozan in the cities of the Medes. The Medes was the Persian, what will be, is the, be the Persian Empire later. Because they obeyed not the voice of the Lord their God. Obedience is how you overcome. But transgressed his covenant and all that Moses the servant of the Lord commanded and would not hear them nor do them. Now, in the 14th year of King Hezekiah, did Sennacherib, the king of Assyria, come up against the fenced cities of Judah and took them. And Hezekiah, king of Judah, sent to the king of Assyria to Lachish, saying, I have offended. I know you're the ruler of the world. We're going to pay tribute to you or taxes, and here's what I'm going to do. Return from me that which thou puttest me I will bear. And the king of Assyria appointed unto Hezekiah, king of Judah, 300 talents of silver and 30 talents of gold, which would be the tribute or the tax you had to pay to the ruling empire. And Hezekiah gave him all the silver that was found in the house of the Lord and the treasures of the king's house. That is to appease the wrath of this mighty king of Assyria. And at that time did Hezekiah cut off the gold from the doors of the temple of the Lord and from the pillars which Hezekiah, king of Judah, had overlaid and gave it to the king of Assyria. And the king of Assyria 
sent Tartan and Rabiris, Rab, Rabseris and Rabshaka. Now, Rabshaka means the chief butler or the cupbearer of the king. He's the special servant of the king. From Lachish to Hezekiah with a great host against Jerusalem. They're encamped around Jerusalem. Hundreds of thousands of them, and Jerusalem is at their mercy. There's only one problem. Hezekiah and Isaiah are in Jerusalem. And you're going to attack them? That's the worst mistake you can make is attacking the man of God. And Rabshakeh said unto them, Oh, look at verse 18. And when they had called to the king, there came out to them Eliakim, the son of Hilkiah, the high priest, which was over the household, and Shebna, the scribe, and Joah, the son of Asaph, the recorder. Those are righteous people right there. And these Rabshakeh and his, and these emissaries of King Sennacher were calling him out to mate with him. So we've got a deal for you. Rabshakeh said unto them, Speaking now to Hezekiah, the king of Judah, and say to him, The great king, the king of Assyria, demands your unconditional surrender. Wrong thing to say to Hezekiah and to Isaiah. What confidence is this wherein you trust? Thou sayest, but they are but vain words. I have counsel and strength for the war. Now on whom do you trust? This is the king of Assyria telling Hezekiah, who are you going to trust in? That you rebel against me, the great king of Assyria. I'll tell you, they're trusting in the Lord, and the Lord's going to fight the battle for them. And they are unbelievably outnumbered. And behold, thou trustest upon the staff of this bruised reed, even upon Egypt. You think you can go to Egypt? They can't stand before us. On which if a man lean, it will go through his hand and pierce it. Just an old saying. So is the Pharaoh of Egypt unto all that trust in him. You can't run to Egypt. Jeremiah told Israel, don't you go to Egypt. Babylon is taking you over. You go to Babylon. If you go to Egypt, I will have an Egyptian, I will have a Babylonian soldier chase you down and kill you. They may not even know what they're doing, but they'll do it. I've got a program for you in Babylon. After you're in Babylon for 70 years, I'll have decrees for you to come back. But if you say to me, this is the Assyrian king saying, if you say to me, we trust in the Lord our God, is not that he whose high places and whose altars Hezekiah hath taken away? He is equating Jehovah God with Baal God. That's what the Assyrian Assyrian king is saying. Isn't that the same one that Hezekiah took all these altars away from? No! He's calling Jehovah, Baal, and the grove. Can you see that? And hath said to Judah and Jerusalem, Ye shall worship before this altar in Jerusalem. Now therefore I pray thee, give pledges to my Lord, the king of Assyria. Give pledges to Sennacherib. You don't have a chance against us. 
and I will deliver thee two thousand horses, if thou be able on thy part to set riders on, on them. If you're able to, I'll give you horsemen and all of this. But see, Hezekiah would have to compromise with the world to get the protection of Assyria. And so will you when you try to fall in with ungodly people. Now then wilt thou turn away the face of one captain of the list, least of my master's servants, and put thy trust on Egypt for chariots and for horsemen. You're going to the wrong people. We control the world. Uh, that's what he's saying to Hezekiah. Am I now come up without the Lord against this place to destroy it? The Lord said to me, go up against this land and destroy it. Sennacherib is lying through his teeth. God didn't tell him to destroy southern Judah. Told him to destroy northern Israel, not southern Judah. So he's lying here. Then said Eliakim, the son of Hilkiah, and Shebnan, Joah, and Rabshakeh, Speak, I pray thee, to thy servants in the Syrian language, for we understand it, and take not with us the Jews' language. In the ears of the people, they are the wall. But Rabshakeh said unto them, Hath my master sent me to thy master? This is the head man that's talking for Sennacherib. Sennacherib is over here in a tent beyond the battlefield. Rabshakeh comes in and says, here's what my master says. To speak these words, hath he not sent me to the men which sit on the wall that they may eat their own dunk and drink dung and drink their own piss with you? What is that about? What the Syrians are going to do, they're going to surround Jerusalem and cut off all supplies And they're going to sit there and let Jerusalem starve to death until they drink their own urine and eat their own dung. That happened several times throughout the Old Testament scriptures. You'll get so hungry, you'll eat your own dung and drink your own urine. That's what they're saying to them here. Then Rabshakeh stood and cried with a loud voice in the Jewish language and spake yelling at the wall of Jerusalem with Hezekiah up there. Hear the word of the great king, the king of Assyria. You don't have a chance. Thus saith the king, let not Hezekiah deceive you, for ye shall not be able to deliver you out of my hand. Well, it's not going to be Hezekiah and Isaiah that does it. It's going to be the Lord. Neither let Hezekiah make you trust in your Lord, saying, The Lord will surely deliver, and this city shall not be delivered into the hand of the king of Assyria. Don't you believe that, Sennacherib says. It's not going to happen. Hearken not to Hezekiah, for thus saith the king of Assyria, Make an agreement with me by present, and come out to me, and then eat ye every man of his own vine and every man of his own fig tree. But you've got to compromise with me and do what I say and throw your God away. That's what you have to do with the world out here. We have to throw our God away that says we can't celebrate the Christ Mass. And that predestination is true in order to run with the world. Don't you? You ought to do the same thing he's saying here. 
until I come and take you away to the land like your own land, a land of corn and wine. You think Sennacherib, this barbarian, is going to take them back to Assyria and give them all that they need? No. He's just liar. He's just a liar. And you're being lied to by the world when they say, if you'll just come in fellowship with me, you'll have all you need. But you've got to compromise and get rid of that predestination. Get rid of that Christmas is pagan stuff. That ye may live and not die and hearken not unto the Hezekiah when he persuaded you, saying, The Lord will deliver you. Hath any of the gods of the nations that I've gone out to conquer delivered their people? No, but they didn't have Jehovah. The world doesn't have Jehovah either. Out of the hand of the king of Assyria, where are the gods of Hamath and of Arpad? These are the gods that stood against me, and they wasn't able to. Neither can you, Israel. Neither can you, church. Have they delivered Samaria out of mine hand? Well, Samaria was northern Israel at this point, and they were serving Baal in the grove. And he goes on through here. Hezekiah gets bent out of shape. He's worried, but not worried. He knows that he is believing God. Let's look at chapter 19. And it came to pass when King Hezekiah heard all of this, that he rent his clothes. They would always tear their clothes and sit in sackcloth and ashes when they were mourning. He's mourning before God. And he went into the house of the Lord, Hezekiah does. And he sent Eliakim, which was over the household, and Shebna the scribe, and the elders of the priests covered with sackcloth, to Isaiah the prophet. Enter Isaiah the prophet. Boy, when you got Isaiah on your side and Hezekiah is king, you can't lose. I don't care if they got a million people standing at your gate. You can't lose. And they said unto Isaiah, Thus saith Hezekiah, This day is a day of trouble and rebuke and blasphemy, for the children are come to the birth. There is not strength to bring forth. These Assyrians are too much. There's no way we can handle them. And it may be, the Lord thy God will hear all the words of Rabshakeh, whom the king of Assyria, his master, has sent to reproach the living God. Whew. Boy, that guy's got a lot of guts. Oh, he's the most foolish man in the world. The Lord thy God hath heard, therefore lift up thy prayer for the remnant of the people that are left. There's very few people in Jerusalem while he's there challenging them. And Isaiah said unto them, Thus shall you say to your master, Tell this Rabshakeh to go back and tell Sennacherib. Thus saith the Lord, Be not afraid of the words which thou hast heard, with which the servants of the king of Assyria have blasphemed me. Don't you be afraid of him. I'll take care of your enemies, Israel. Behold, I will send a blast upon him, a blast like he has never seen before. And he shall hear a rumor and shall return to his own land. 
and I will cause him to fall by the sword when he goes home. I'm going to take care of Sennacherib. Don't you think he's going to do what he says? But they don't have enough people that are going to be surrounded. They're going to be surrounded by the Assyrian army. And Assyrians are going to say, we're going to make you eat your own dung and drink your own urine because you're going to be hungry. You say, I would never do that. You wouldn't. Have you ever gone for six or eight weeks without food? They were eating in that sixth chapter of Second Kings. They were eating dove's dung. They were drinking their own urine. I wouldn't do that. When that Donner Party was out there and going out to back in the 1800s, and they went through that big blizzard, they started eating one another. When that, when that, those guys down in the Andes in South America, that soccer team crashed in the middle of those Andes mountains, they started eating one another. It was maybe three or four weeks. But they said, this is the only way we'll live. So Rabshakeh turned and found the king of Assyria warring against Libna, for he had heard that he was departed from Lachish. He went over and fought somebody else while he was having the, getting the word from Hezekiah. When he heard say of Terhaka, king of Ethiopia, behold, he came out to fight against thee. He sent messengers again to Hezekiah, saying, this is the... This is Sennacherib, the king of Assyria. Thus shall you speak to Hezekiah, the king of Judah, saying, Let not your God, Jehovah, in whom thou trustest, deceive thee, saying, Jerusalem shall not be delivered into the hand of the king of Assyria. Don't you believe anybody that says that? You can't believe Sennacherib for sure. Behold, thou hast heard what the kings of Assyria have done to all the lands that are around you. We've destroyed everybody. By destroying them utterly, and shalt thou be delivered? You think you're going to be delivered, Israel? Have the gods of the nations delivered them which my fathers have destroyed? Tiglath-Pileser destroyed all these nations. So did Shalmaneser. No one can stand against the Assyrians. The Caucasian kingdom. As Gozan and Haran and Rezaph and the children of Eden, which were in Thalassar, these are all pagan lands that he has conquered. Where's the king of Hamath, the king of Arphad, the king of the city of Saravam, and Hena, and Iva, and Hezekiah, received the letter at the hand of the messengers and read it. And Hezekiah went up to the house of the Lord and spread it before the Lord. Hezekiah prayed. Boy, he has got something on his hands. He is going to, he is up against the meanest, lowest down people that's ever existed going against the Assyrians. And Hezekiah prayed before the Lord and said, O Lord God of Israel, which dwellest between the cherubim, he lives between the cherubim on the top of the Ark of the Covenant. Thou art God. You're the God. Even thou alone in all the kingdoms of the earth, thou shalt, thou hast made heaven and earth. Lord, bow down thine ear and hear me. Open, Lord, thine eyes and see and hear the words of Sennacherib, this evil, wicked, godless king. 
which has sent him to reproach the living God, you? <clears throat> of a truth, Lord, the kings of Assyria have destroyed the nations and their lands all over and have cast their gods into the fire, for they were no gods but the work of man's hands, wood and stone, and therefore they have destroyed them. <clears throat> o Lord our God, I beseech thee, save thou us out of his hand, that all the kingdoms of the earth may know that thou art the Lord God, even thou only. I'm talking about God fighting the battle, not you. What are they going to do? Go out there and get their swords? Is Isaiah and Hezekiah going to get their swords? No, they're going to go home and go to bed. After he's praised and Isaiah prays, God says, verse 25, Hast thou not heard long ago how I have done it, and of ancient times that I have formed it? Now have I brought it to pass that thou shouldest be so lay waste fenced cities unto ruinous heaps. And then we get to the end of all this. Verse 29. This shall be a sign unto thee. <clears throat> Ye shall eat this year such things as go of themselves. In the second year which springeth of the same. In the third year sow ye and reap and plant vineyards and eat the fruits thereof. And the remnant that is escaped of the house of Judah shall ye not take root downward and bear fruit toward upward. For out of Jerusalem shall go forth a remnant and they shall escape out of Mount Zion. And the zeal of the Lord of the host shall do this. Therefore thus saith the Lord concerning the king of Assyria, Sennacherib. I'm going to tell you what's going to happen to him. He shall not come into this city, this little sleepy town of Jerusalem. No. Nor shoot an arrow there. Not one arrow is going to come into Jerusalem. And he's got hundreds of thousands out there surrounding Jerusalem. Oh, have you felt like that in life? Nor come before it with a shield, nor cast a bank up against it. He's not going to have a big wall going against Jerusalem. By the way that he came, by the same shall he return. Shall not come into this city, saith the Lord, for I will defend this city. The battle belongs to the Lord. He's got two of the most righteous men ever. You don't attack that. For I will defend this city to save it for mine own sake and for my servant David's sake. And you would think that God would go ta da 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 great big, great big show of victory. No, he does in one verse. This next verse. And it came to pass that night that the angel of the Lord, Michael the death angel, went out and smote the camp of the Assyrians and 185,000 soldiers died that night in the camp of the Assyrians. Took one angel, Michael, the death angel. He goes in and goes, you're all dead. Was that, did the battle belong to God? 
104 score scores, 24 scores, 80, 185,000 died that night. Can you imagine being a Syrian soldier and waking up and looking? There's acres and acres and acres of dead Assyrians. You don't attack Hezekiah and Isaiah. And they rose early in the morning. Behold, they were all dead corpses. How's that for defense? Hmm. That's the God we serve. You don't have to fight your battles. Leave it alone. So Sennacherib, the king of Assyria, departed and went and returned and dwelt at Nineveh, the capital city of the Assyrian Empire. And it came to pass as he was worshipping in the house of Nisroch, his god, that Adrimelech and Sherezer, his sons, killed him with a sword. Oh, that was prophesied by the prophet. You're going to go back the same way you came, and you're going to die when you get home. Your enemy is going to be those in your own household. And they escaped into the land of Armenia, and Asherhaddon, and Sennacherib's son reigned in his stead. And so then Judah saved until God gets ready to carry them away. And that will happen in the 25th chapter of this book. Because they're going to get involved in sun and tree worship. But you can't just assume because you can conquer one situation, you can conquer all of them. He said, just because I've come down and God called me down to conquer northern Israel, while I'm at it, I'll go down and conquer southern Judah. Well, you got the wrong thing in mind, mister. You got Isaiah and Hezekiah down there. You don't do that. If you're righteous in your life, If you start saying, I'm going to live righteously and godly for the Lord, and you eliminate all the gods in your life, you'll just be like Asa. You conquer the land, there'll be peace in your life. You won't have to depend on anybody. But I won't, my enemies destroyed. God will do that because they're his enemies. He'll do it when he's ready. And he won't do it the way you want him to do it. I hope they go bankrupt. Now he gets in a car wreck and he breaks his neck and he becomes a quadriplegic. <laughs> So we don't dictate to God how that he destroys our enemies. He'll do it his way. He might make them go broke and might humble them and put them on their face before him. Am I out of time, Mike? I hope you can understand. I'm giving you these stories to show you the battle is the Lord's in your life and in mine. If we can learn to be like Hezekiah and Isaiah... Be godly and righteous. Our enemies will be taken care of by the Lord. Sometimes you won't even understand how it comes about. But he'll do it in his time, his way. He said, my kingdom's not of this world. If it was, Isaiah and Jeremiah, would, Isaiah and Hezekiah would have fought. It's not of this world. Leave it up to God. He's in charge. Let's pray. Father, thank you for truth. Help us to understand, regardless of how we're outnumbered, the battle is yours. We need not ever be angry at our enemies because you've caused them to do what they do to us, to mature us in ways we can understand when it's happening. 
fight our battles, like David said, and keep us out of the fray. We'll praise you for all things. In Christ's name we pray, man. Don't name your kid Sennacherib. Don't name your kid Sennacherib. <laughs> That's what? From work. Okay. 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 I appreciate it. Thank you. Hit you right in the mouth, he's always with you, ain't he? Huh? Guys, I was with you, but he hit you right in the mouth. Yeah, he, he, he'll do his job, but he wants to do to you. <laughs> <laughs>